In the name of the Father, and the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask your blessing on our efforts again today. As we continue our efforts to understand Deuteronomy, not only what it says, but the meaning behind it and the history behind it. So we ask your blessing on us. May you help us to open our minds and our hearts to what it is that you want us to hear. So we thank you for this time together. We thank you and praise you in all things. In Jesus' name. Well, I want to welcome those people who weren't here last week. Uh, thank you for joining us. And I hope that you'll pick up all of the uh, handouts from last week as well as um, this week. And there are many out there, so I'm flooding you with uh, printed information because, as I said last week, there will be no meeting next week, just next week. Um, but we will resume again on the 9th of October. So please uh, take all of the handouts that uh, are available there for you and be sure to read them. A lot of work went into making them, uh, but they're for your benefit. And that's why we uh, encourage you to read all of that information. Uh, particularly the book of Ezra, because the church, although uh, if anyone has been to daily mass in the last few days, uh, the first reading is from the book of Ezra, which is rather unusual because we don't really get a great deal of information out of Ezra or his companion Nehemiah. And we'll go into that uh, at the next meeting, which will be two weeks from today. All right. Uh, Today I'd like to get into really getting uh, to know the book of Deuteronomy, but to know it, you really have to go to some of the other books of the Bible uh, because it supports the purpose. Deuteronomy was not written as histories like the majority of the other books of the early Old Testament. Those were written to uh, record history. Deuteronomy was written later for a different audience and for a different purpose. In reading the information that I asked you to read for today's meeting from the Book of Kings, you probably uh, learned, probably more than you wanted to really, but uh, at least the, about the breakup of the kingdom of Israel as David and Solomon ruled it. Remember, David uh, reorganized the 12 tribes of Israel and their land holdings, etc., and became the king of all of Israel. Whereas in days prior to David, under uh, King Saul, uh, each of the provinces that were governed by one of the 12 tribes was sort of an independent one, and their leader was always kind of looked upon as king, although he really wasn't. David reorganized all of that and 
brought all of those uh, little kingdoms under his rule as king over all of Israel. And that remains so because that was God's part of God's plan of salvation. We went into that a little bit in detail last week. But God's plan of salvation wanted to keep all of Israel together as a kingdom. And there are many um, examples of how he did that and why he did that in the past. One of them, of course, was by sending the people to Israel, I mean to Egypt at the time of Moses, so that they would grow as a nation, but they would still kind of be corralled into a land that couldn't be uh, extended. Uh, now, that became the norm uh, for well over 500 years to the time of David and then later uh, his son King Solomon. But Solomon had a number of problems, as you know uh, and read. He wasn't the wisest man, as a lot of people give him credit for. Uh, having 500 wives wasn't the most uh, wise thing, you know. Uh, 700, well, whatever, you know. After a few hundred, what difference does it uh, a few more make? Uh, but it, uh, that wasn't the wisest thing. But nevertheless, Solomon did a lot of good things. It was during Solomon's time uh, that it, the monarchy was called the Golden Age of Judaism. But uh, when Solomon died, uh, his uh, legacy went to his son Rehoboam, who wasn't the greatest person. And he couldn't get along with one of the governors of uh, one of the northern provinces, whose name was Jeroboam. You can really get him kind of mixed up there, but nevertheless, you could call him Jeb and Rob, I suppose. Um, but nevertheless, we have to understand how uh, the monarchy broke up and split into two parts, with ten of the tribes uh, remaining faithful to Jeroboam, and the other one or two, uh, Judah and Dan, remained faithful to Rehoboam and became the kingdom of Judah. Well, that might be easy to understand in itself, but unfortunately, uh, the people in the northern kingdom of Israel started to wander off because they didn't like and didn't want to uh, observe the teachings that came out of Jerusalem. They felt that they were independent and they wanted to show their independence and so Jeroboam started to build shrines uh, to some of the pagan gods uh, in the north and that continued. So if you read the assigned reading out of the book of Kings, the first book of Kings, you'll see that each succeeding uh, king 
that came out of both countries for that matter, but primarily uh, the northern kingdom of Israel, only got worse and worse and worse until there was really uh, no end and God had to step in. I think all of you, I hope all of you got a copy of uh, this little diagram here of the listing of the different kings or rulers because we don't really want to call them kings in the, because in the traditional sense they weren't kings but they were rulers over uh, their various provinces which were originally the provinces of the ten tribes of Israel. Now there's even a question mark in that because um, originally the ten or the twelve tribes of Israel were the sons were from the sons of Jacob and I won't go down the whole list of uh, names of those people but remember the Levites when they returned uh, way back at the time of Joshua to the uh, promised land they were divided up among 11 tribes the Levites did not get any land because they were to live among all of the other tribes um, as priests and servants in that way not priests as we think of priests today but priests as servants of the temple within their own respective uh, community um, now I lost my trend of thought here but uh, that's the way old age goes I think at times anyways um, Oh, Lord, help me. <laughs> <laughs> you talked about the 11. You started to talk about the 11 tribes and that the Levites were. Oh, all right, the Levites. Levites. That's right. All right. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Joe. Uh, also, two of the tribes um, were not really sons of Jacob, they were taken from the sons of Joseph. Remember, Joseph was the one that got sold uh, to some people from Egypt and went down to Egypt and uh, sort of blossomed out under the pharaoh down there. And he married uh, an Egyptian woman and had two sons. Well, Joseph was punished at the time that the Israelites came back from Egypt 400 years later. Uh, by not giving a portion um, to him uh, by name, but what they did was they gave a portion of land to his two sons, Manasseh and um, Ephraim. Okay. Uh, so, because Joseph was not given any land, and the Levites were not giving any land. That was only 10 tribes, right? Okay, but by replacing uh, those two by the sons of Joseph, Manasseh, and Ephraim, uh, they came back to the 12. Okay, so the 12 settled in the promised land 
and each of them had its own governor. Uh, and I'm sort of coming back to the idea under David, and David consolidated them all under himself, and he was the only king, but they still had to have governors under each of those uh, communities. At the time of uh, David and Solomon's death, the uh, kingdom then went to Rehoboam, who then couldn't get along with Jeroboam, one of the rulers of the northern tribes, and therefore it split up. This is one of the major catastrophes of Judaism of the Old Testament times because it led to many other problems. Once the uh, province, or once the uh, kingdom was split into two, uh, it lost its uh, traditional attachment and allegiance to Jerusalem and went its own way. Many of those kings married non-Jewish women and accepted their gods and so as you probably read and I hope you read from the book of Kings that each one succeeded in sort of outdoing the other on how evil he could be. Uh, and so God had to step in, but in the middle of all of that, there was a group of people within the northern kingdom who wanted to remain faithful, not only to the teachings that came out of Jerusalem, but the original teachings of Moses. And so they were the ones that wrote the book of Deuteronomy. They were faithful and they were very interested in keeping the teachings of Moses. Now Moses went all the way back because this was, we're talking about um, the 9th or the 8th century that this was taking place. Uh, Moses came out of the 15th century BC. So you had quite a difference in time there. So we're speaking to an entirely different audience now. The people of uh, the northern kingdom of Israel at the time of the 9th or the 8th century BC. We're not certain on those dates. Remember, there was no universal calendar at that time period, and dates are a little bit off. Uh, and just as an aside, when you read the information on Ezra that I gave you this morning, and I would certainly like you to read it at, at home, uh, the timing and the, the dates for many of those events are very vague. And because there was very little recorded history in the last 500 years of Judaism, between the end of the Babylonian exile and the time of Christ. So to follow the teachings of Ezra and all of that he accomplished, the poor guy would have had to live to about 150 years. Um, well, I don't think that happened, but he established himself 
as a very influential person, often being referred, referred to as a second Moses. And it was he that really took hand when the people went off to Babylon. But I'm getting a little out of hand and ahead of the, the story that I really wanted uh, to talk about. Yes, Dick? Yes. Yes. They wrote it. They wrote the book of Deuteronomy. Yes. Thank you, Anna. All right. Uh, and let's pick it up there. They wrote this book and tried to get the people to understand the teachings of Moses against what they were doing. They were worshiping pagan gods and doing a lot of things that um, were totally against the teachings of Moses. So by resurrecting the teachings of Moses and putting it into the form of uh, four speeches, uh, they felt that perhaps the people would uh, reconsider what they were doing versus the teachings of Moses and correct their ways. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. And in 722, God sort of lowered the boom on the northern kingdom and allowed the Assyrians to come in and conquer the whole 12 or 10 tribes of the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 BC. Yes. Uh, and in doing so, they carted, the Assyrians carted off most of those people from the northern kingdom that could do them some good in the form of tradesmen, uh, servants, housekeepers, shopkeepers, whatever. Uh, they didn't take the overly ill, uh, the elderly, and little children. <coughs> which were left behind to fend for themselves and of course without having any able-bodied people there uh, to man the farms and do the shopkeeping and serving and so forth and so on uh, the entire kingdom over a period of years faded out All right. uh, and we'll talk a little bit about what happened to them later but some of the people from this group called the Deuteronomists that wrote the book went to the south, to the kingdom of Judah, where they tried to promote the same book to the people of Judah. Well, if you read some of the stories of what happened down there, the people of Judah weren't any better. And they didn't accept the teachings of the Deuteronomist either, partly because they were from the north, uh, another silly reason, but nevertheless, partly before, because they were from the north, partly because they just didn't like what was said. And so the book of Deuteronomy ended up in the temple in Jerusalem, totally ignored for over a hundred years. And it wasn't resurrected again until the time that Hilkiah, the priest of, of one of the kings, uh, 
a much later date, Josiah, uh, found it after they were, when they were renovating the uh, temple and found the book that was written by the Deuteronomist. Well, at that time, it was probably uh, what we today would call chapter 5 through 26. Yeah, 5 through 26. The main part, or what is referred to as the second speech of Moses. I'll get into that in a few minutes. Um, that was what was called the book of the law at the time. And I'm going to ask you to read uh, between now and the next meeting some books, uh, some readings from the second um, book of Kings, particularly chapter 18, where the book was found. Now that we're talking about 150 or so years later, the book was found um, in the temple and King Josiah tried to resurrect people into obeying it, but they didn't like that either. And uh, Josiah didn't last very long. He was executed by one of his own family because they didn't like uh, what he was promoting. And that was, again, was the teachings of Moses. So the book of Deuteronomy has a rather interesting uh, history and background. And that is why I wanted you to read uh, from the first book of Kings the why it wasn't accepted and what happened to it later. From the, For the next week meeting, you'll find out uh, again how it was found and repeated. Uh, and then from there, it even has a more interesting history. But I'll get into that in the next meeting or so. What I'd like to do now is to start reading from the book of Deuteronomy um, the first speech. When I say the first speech, this book is a collection of sayings or teachings from Moses and from many later teachings that were attributed to Moses or Moses was given credit. Remember in Jewish writings of this early period when a person would write something of value uh, and knew it was of value but because the individual who wrote it was not very well known he would uh, give it the name of some person um, who was well known and therefore a lot of writings that we give to certain people in Old Testament time period were written by somebody else and that was even true even in the northern or the I'm sorry in the uh, New Testament time period uh, there is a lot of um, concern about some of the books that are attributed uh, to St. Paul that he may or may not have written. Well, my feeling is if they're worthwhile, why be concerned? Uh, so I don't put a lot of importance on who wrote or who might 
have written this other than Paul. It, it really doesn't make a lot of sense uh, because if it is worthwhile, if it's in the Bible, we feel that it was inspired by whoever wrote it. So what difference does it make? And that's my feeling. Anyways, but uh, what I would like to do is to get into the reading of at least the first uh, speech and I will point out some of the things that are in here that tell us that this was not written uh, by Moses. All right. It may be the teachings of Moses put into different words, but uh, these speeches were not written by Moses. So if you have your Bibles handy and want to follow along, fine. Um, but it's important that we understand. One of the difficulties of reading some of the oldest books of the New Testament are the language. And I don't mean Aramaic or Jewish. I mean the grammar that it is hard to follow at times who is speaking. Because here you have Moses is speaking to the people of his time. And we're reading it because it is now being readdressed to people of a much later time period, the 9th or 8th century versus the 15th century. Okay. So we have a little bit of difficulty in understanding who is speaking, but I think I can kind of straighten you out as we go along. All right. <clears throat> We're going to start out here, chapter 1, um, book of Deuteronomy. Each of these four speeches start out with almost the same identical words. These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan, in the desert, in the Arabah, opposite surf, between Paran, Tophel, Laban, Hezroth, and Bishahem. Those places do not exist today. So don't worry about if you don't understand some of these odd names here. And if I'm mispronouncing it, I'm not going to tell you. Okay. It is a journey of 11 days from Horeb, which is the word Horeb in this case is often used for the word Sinai or the mountain of Sinai. Sinai came from the southern kingdom of Judah and Horeb comes from the northern kingdom. You'll have the same problem that a person's name or a place name will be different in whether it came from the south or whether they came from the north. All right. So when you hear the word Horeb, think of Mount Sinai. All right. It is a journey of 11 days from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by way of the highlands of Seir. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the Israelites all the commands that the Lord had given him in their regard. In other words, this is sort of repeating. Moses is, or the 
the speech here is telling us that Moses is repeating uh, all of the teachings that the Lord had given to him. Now you have to kind of understand or, or try to visualize what you're hearing here now. Moses is standing on Mount Ebo in the Transjordan or the eastern side of the Jordan looking over at what is now Israel. Moses never stepped into the country of Israel in his whole life and was never allowed to go in for uh, various reasons which I'll talk about some other time. Um, partly because his time in God's plan of salvation had come to an end. He had brought the people out of Egypt, he had led them for 40 years, and now it was time for them to go into the promised land. So this is what he is saying. All right. <coughs> Pardon me. The other difficult part here is that he is, Moses is saying to the people in this speech what the people who wrote the speech want the people of the 8th and 9th century BC to hear. It may not have been written exactly as Moses presented it, and we have no idea uh, for certain whether Moses ever gave any kind of speech like this at the time he was about to die. Yeah. That's the whole uh, emphasis behind this. Moses began to explain the law to the land of Moab beyond the Jordan as follows. The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, or Sinai, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Leave here and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to the surrounding regions, the land of the Canaanites in Arabah, the mountains, the hill uh, foothills, the Negev, the seacoast, to Lebanon, as far as the great river uh, that is the Euphrates. Remember, Israel extended from the Mediterranean Sea all the way to the Euphrates River, which is now in Iran uh, or Iraq, um, at this time period. Legal boundaries, as we think of them today, did not exist. Uh, so it really doesn't make a great deal of difference uh, when we talk about certain um, towns or cities or uh, that kind of thing. All right. Now he's telling them that they've stayed long enough, but the other part of this whole story here is talking about how they ended up have you all got this copy here playing please bring all of your handouts for each meeting because you never know when we're going to go back and look at one of them all right the one i want you to look at is the one that has the zagged line 
No, I'm sorry. The one I want you to look at is the route of the Exodus. This one right here. The reason I want you to do that is because he is talking now at the end of the 40-year wandering in the, in the desert. But he goes back at a time period here and talks about when they first started out after leaving Egypt, they were going to go to the promised land. Well, remember, Jacob and his family went back two or three, back and forth two or three times. So the travel distance between Egypt and Jerusalem would only take a caravan of people maybe two weeks to make that time period. But remember, when they were first told to go to that place, they had some real serious problems and concerns. And that is what we're going to be getting into now. Because Moses then goes back and starts to talk about it. So the timing and the time periods gets a little confusing here. <clears throat> the Lord our God said uh, to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at the mountains here. Leave here and go to the hill country of the Amorites and all of the surroundings countries, as I told you a little while ago. Okay, Abraham, uh, I have given the land over to you. Go now and uh, occupy the land I swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I would uh, give to them and to their descendants. At that time I said to you alone, I am unable to uh, carry you. The Lord uh, your God said, uh, so, I'm sorry, the Lord your God has so multiplied you that you are now at, at as numerous as the stars in the sky. Uh, may the Lord, the God of your fathers, increase you for a thousand times over and bless you as he promised. But how can I alone bear the crushing burden that you are? along with your bickering. Clothes, choose wise, intelligent, and experienced men in each of your tribes. This whole passage here is talking about God telling Moses uh, to appoint uh, governors for various portions because the people got so uh, numerous over that 40-year period in the desert uh, that it was he was unable to deal with them individually so they had to develop some kind of a structure and that is what he's telling him here I'm going ahead of the story a little bit okay um, at that time I said to you alone I am unable to carry you and so forth he, he develops this whole structure here and so we agreed to do as you have proposed I'm dropping down to uh, verse uh, 15. So I took understanding men and made them your leaders as official over thousands, over hundreds, over fifties, and over tens, and other uh, tribal officers. I charged your ju judges uh, at that time, 
and I listen to complaints among your kinsmen and administer your true justice to both parties, even if one of them is an alien. I, I have no idea why we're getting into all of this detail, but nevertheless, this is part of this speech here. Okay. Thereupon, I will give you all the commands that you are to fulfill. Then, in obedience to the command of the Lord our God, we set out for Horeb and journeyed through the whole desert, vast and fearful as you have seen, in the direction of the hill country of the Amorites. We had reached Kadesh Barnea when I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving you. The Lord your God has given this land over to you, Go up and occupy it, as the Lord your God uh, of your fathers commands you. Do not fear or lose heart. Then all of you came up and said to me, Let us send men ahead to reconnoiter the land uh, for us and report to us on the road, uh, the road we must follow and the cities we must take. Agreeing with the proposal, I chose 12 men. You see, now we're getting into a time period difference. It starts out from saying that you've been here 40 years and that's long enough. That's at the end of the 40 year period. Now we're going back and he's talking to people at the beginning of that 40 year period. Remember, if you look at this map, as I said earlier, the distance between Egypt and Jerusalem was about a two-week walk for all of those people. And originally they went up uh, to the eastern side of the Jordan and were going to cross over at Jericho. All right? But they started to revolt and be concerned about well, what was there. Remember, they had been in Israel I mean, they had been in Egypt for 400 years. So none of those people had ever been to the Promised Land. They didn't know what they were getting into. And they were concerned about it. Which is, you know, understandable. Yes, Beth. Well, uh, let, me, let me kind of repeat a little bit of what I said. In the short time after they originally left Egypt, they went up to the Promised Land. And that is now what we're going to be talking about, okay? And it's because of what happened at that first time is what caused them to turn around and wander through the desert for 40 years. Okay. All right. Now, so this is back in the beginning of that 40-year period. Okay. That's why, as I said earlier, the time periods jump back and forth and it's a little difficult to understand. Okay. So they developed this structure and then they developed or chose 12 scouts, one from each of the tribes. 
And those tri or those scouts went into uh, the promised land. I think if I really just tell you rather than reading, it's a little easier. Okay. Those scouts went into the promised land and spent an unknown period of time, short period of time, and took note of all that they saw. They were really greatly surprised and pleased that it was a fertile land, much more so than Egypt, and the wandering in the desert uh, that they had just come through. So they were very pleased, but they realized that these people that were there were much bigger and stronger than they, and they got really concerned about that. So when they came back to Moses after this, whatever time they spent there, they brought samples of uh, fruit and vegetables and other souvenirs, I suppose. Um, but they were really concerned about the people. So when they told the majority of uh, this vast crowd of people that Moses was leading, uh, that there were people there that were giants. Well, these were people from the north who were in stature, uh, much bigger, but not certainly giants. Uh, but they just didn't feel like they were up to it to, you know, go in and route those people out uh, and take over their land. So this is what happens. But you refuse them uh, to go up, uh, actually over the Jordan. And after defying the command of the Lord your God, you set to murmuring in your tents, out of hatred for the us and for the Lord, has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites and destroy us. What shall we meet up there? Our kinsmen have made us faint-hearted by reporting that the people are stronger and taller than we, and their cities are large and fortified to the sky. Woo! China. Uh, and besides, they saw the Anakim. That is the word that they use for giants. Okay. Now, pay attention to this next section. This is something that you will not see if you look into the book of Exodus where the same story appears. All right. It says, But I, that is Moses now, I said to you, have no dread of, or, or fear of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you just as he took your part before your very eyes in Egypt as well as in the desert, where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his child all along your journey until you arrived at this place. Despite this, you would not trust the Lord your God? In other words, he's trying to get the people to see that the Lord is behind this and the Lord will then take care of him. But we've got to jump now into the 8th and 9th century. The people of the Deuteronomist period want the people of the northern 
kingdom of Israel to see the same kind of things. So that's why these teachings out of Moses are being repeated here. Let us go on. <clears throat> Who journeys before you to find you a resting place? By day in the cloud uh, and by night in the fire. This is how those people were moved to have the direction that God wanted to give them. They followed a, a cloud during the day and, and a pillar of fire at night. But when the Lord heard your words of refusal to go into the land, uh, he was angry and he swore not one man of this evil generation shall look upon um, the good land I swore to give your fathers, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh. He shall see it, for in him and his sons I will give the land he trod upon, because he has followed the Lord unreservedly. The Lord was angered against me, that is Moses, also on your account, and said, Not even you, Moses, shall enter there, but your aid, Joshua, son of Nun, shall enter. And so it was later, when after they turned around and started their 40-year trek, that that would happen. Okay. Unsuccessful, the unsuccessful invasion. Oh, well, wait, I'm skipping too far ahead. Your little ones who said uh, you would become booty and your children who as yet uh, do not know good from bad, they shall enter. In other words, all of the people that refused to go up in the first time that they were due to cross over uh, or organize that revolt uh, would die out in that 40-year trek. It would be the children and Caleb and Joshua who would lead the people then uh, at that time. So you see the time periods are getting a little confusing here. And you have to be real careful. Yes, Joe? So they just for 40 years just went around in that same that's yes. very big area. Oh, well, it is, it is if you're walking. Well, yeah. after 40 years is a long time. Well, yeah, but, you know, they went in circles. Yeah. But they didn't, they didn't really, they couldn't have. A large number of people had to stay at one point, and we think that that is right in almost the center. Uh, Kadesh Barnea, yeah. uh, that is where we believe that they spent most of their time. Yeah, they just right. Yes, because, you know, with animals, you have to have water and grain and you know feed and so forth and that doesn't you don't find that in the desert okay so the whole idea of of timing here uh, is a little confusing so and that is why I wanted to read let's let's go on here in reply you said to me we have sinned against you Lord 
we will go up ourselves and fight just as the Lord our God commanded us. And each of you girded on his weapons, making light of going up into the hill. In other words, after the Lord chastised them, they said, oh yeah, all right, now we'll go and do what you told us to do. But, he's saying, um, the Lord, but the Lord said to me, that is Moses, warn them, do not go up and fight, lest you will be beaten down before your enemies, for I will not be in your midst. All right. This is after they revolted and refused. So this is how the 40 years began. For I will not be in your mules. Uh, I gave you this warning, but you would not listen. In defiance of the Lord's command, you arrogantly marched off into the hill country. Then the Amorites living there came out against you and, like bees, chased you, cutting you down in Seir as far as Horma. Uh, on your return, you wept before the Lord, uh, but he did not listen to your cry or give ear to you. And that is why you had to stay as long as you did at Kadesh, Kadesh Barnea. All right. When you did return and proceed into the desert on the Red Sea Road, as the Lord had commanded me, this is Moses speaking again, we circled around the highlands at Seir for a long time. Finally, the Lord said to me, you have wandered around these highlands long enough. Turn and go north. Give this order to the people. You are now about to pass through the territory of your kinsmen, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir. Though they are afraid of you, be very careful not to come into conflict with them, for I will not give you so much as a foot of their land, since I have already given Esau possession of the purchase of Seir. Now, you know, Esau was Jacob's brother, twin brother, and he was promised uh, some land. Also, remember way back at the time of Abraham, Abraham had a son by uh, Hagar, the servant girl of his wife, and that, that was acceptable in those times. But that son, Ishmael, was also given a plot of land in this same general area to develop and uh, raise his family. Okay. So you'll, you'll come along through that. Uh, in other words, he's saying, don't, don't uh, bother the people of that land was given to Esau. Now, dropping down to uh, chapter 2, verse 6. You shall purchase from them uh, with silver uh, the food you eat and the well water you drink. The Lord your God has blessed you in all your undertakings. He has been concerned about your journey through this vast desert. It is now 40 years that he has been with you and you have never been in want. That is another uh, comment that you won't find in the book of Exodus. 
but it is meant to wake up the people of the 7th or 8th and 9th century BC. The Deuteronomists want these people to wake up. So you're going to find those kinds of comments throughout all of this book that you will not find in the companion or, or same stories in other books. Right. It's because they're trying to get the people to see that God has been so faithful to them and so good to them over a period of time. How could they possibly justify the worship of pagan gods and other things? I'm going to jump a little bit here uh, because, as I said, they go through... Uh, the territory of Esau, then they go through the territory of uh, Isaac, etc. And they're told not to bother those people. So, get ready to cross, and I'm talking here at verse 13, chapter 2, verse 13. Get ready then to cross. <clears throat> well, excuse me. Get ready then to cross the Wadi Zir. So we crossed it. Thirty-eight years had elapsed between our departure from Kadesh, Kadesh Barnea and that crossing. In the meantime, the whole generation of soldiers had perished from the camp as the Lord had sworn they should. For it was the Lord's hand that was against them till he wiped them out of the camp completely. When at length death had put an end to all of the soldiers among the people, the Lord said to me, you are now about to leave Ar and the territory of Moab behind. As you go opposite the Amorites, do not show hostility or come in conflict with them, for I will not give you uh, possession of their land of the, the land of the Amorites, since I have given it to the descendants of Lot. Remember, Lot was the nephew of Abraham, and this went to the descendants of Lot. This also was considered a country of uh, uh, Rephaim here, for its former inhabitants from Ammonites called the Zoom Zoom <laughs> a people strong and numerous and tall like the Anakim. But these two, the Lord cleared out of the way for the Ammonites who ousted them and took their place. He had done the same for the descendants of Esau who dwell in Seir by clearing the hordes out of their way. I'm going to drop down a little bit more here. <laughs> Excuse me. This whole uh, chapter, I mean, this whole verse, first uh, lecture or lesson or speech, whatever you want to call it. Remember, it is not a speech given by Moses. It is a speech written by a number of people at a much later time period. Uh, who are trying to get the people to remember how God took care of them 
in uh, very, very perilous times during their wanderings and the crossing over you know, eventually into the promised land. The whole book of Deuteronomy is built on the concept of fidelity to the Lord. And in contrast to that, when the people refused to be faithful to the teachings, they had to experience punishment. So the idea of fidelity and obedience versus punishment will be the key throughout the entire book here. And there was a great deal of punishment, as you know, to these people here and to others who didn't disobey God. Okay. But you have to also remember that when a large number of people were punished, obviously there were some faithful people within that group. You have to remember that God has promised that anyone who was faithful but caught up into mass punishment would eventually go right to heaven. And that is true even today. If a number of people are slaughtered, like just recently there was a celebration of a particular saint and his companions, because there were so many, they didn't have all the names. Those companions were also considered as saints as well, because they got caught up into a mass uh, or a massacre of for their faith. And so all of those people would be considered as saints. And the same is true for people in this time period. Obviously, when whole countries are punished, as the Assyrians were punished, uh, as, as the Assyrians punished the people of the northern kingdom of Israel, many of those people um, died in the conquest period, and then many of those people were carted off to Assyria, never to be seen again. We have no idea of what happened. There are no records of what happened to the people that carted off to Syria. Uh, in return, we know that the Assyrians brought into uh, the northern kingdom of Israel at Samaria a number of the people that they didn't want in Assyria. All of the poor, the sick, uh, people in jails, um, that kind of thing, were all brought in. And they, over time period, became the Samaritans that were so disliked uh, by the Jews at the time of Christ. That's how that started. Okay, way back after the conquest of the northern kingdom in 722 BC. And so the Samaritans were there a long time. Uh, and they tried to assimilate in many ways, but they still retained their worship of their pagan gods. And so that's why the Jews, uh, particularly around Jerusalem, so hated the, the Samaritans. Uh, but Jesus tried to change that. Okay.
So I want to go to chapter 4 here. Now hear Israel, hear the statutes and decrees which I am teaching you to observe, that you may live and may enter in and take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. This is Moses speaking again. In your observance of the commandments of the Lord your God, which I enjoin upon you, you shall not add to what I command, nor subtract from it. In other words, exact obedience to the teachings as given by God to Moses. I command you now, not subtract from it. You shall see, uh, you, you have seen with your own eyes what uh, the Lord did at uh, Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from your midst everyone that followed the Baal Peor. But you who clung to the Lord your God are alive today. Therefore I teach you the statutes and decrees as the Lord my God has commanded me, that you may observe them in the land you are entering to occupy. Observe them carefully, for thus you will give evidence of your wisdom and intelligence to the nations who will hear of all these statutes and say, This great nation is truly a wise and intelligent people, for your great nation is there that is God's so close to it as the Lord our God is to us. Now that's confusing in itself. This great nation is truly a wise and intelligent people. For what great nation is there that has God's so close to it as the Lord our God? In other words, in the early days of Judaism, the people still believed, and innocently so, that there were other gods. But the Lord, our God, was the one and only that they were to obey. <clears throat> or what great nation has statues and decrees that are uh, as just as... Well, uh, that doesn't make sense. Or what great nation has statutes, uh, not statues, statutes, laws, and decrees that are as just as this whole law which I am setting before you today? However, take care and be earnestly on your guard not to forget the things which your own eyes have seen, nor let them slip from your memory as long as you live, but teach them to your children and to your children's children. There was the day on which you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, and he said to me, Assemble the people for me, and I will have them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me as long as they live in the land, and may so teach their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, which blazed to the very sky with fire and was enveloped in a dense black cloud. And then the Lord spoke to you from the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. 
he proclaimed to you his covenant, which he commanded you to keep. The Ten Commandments, which he wrote on two tablets of stone. The Lord charged me at that time to teach you the statutes and decrees which you are to observe over in the land you will occupy. You saw no form at all on that day, the Lord spoke to you at Horeb from the midst of the fire. Be strictly on your guard, therefore, not to degrade yourselves by fashioning an idol to represent any figure, whether it be the form of a man or a woman, or an animal or the sky, or the birds that fly in the sky. Uh, again, this is Moses speaking in this speech written by the people of uh, the Deuteronomist in the ninth or eighth century. So it's speaking to a large new audience for an entirely different purpose. Obedience to the word of God rather than the pagan gods that they were worshiping at that time. And when you look up to the heavens and behold the sun or the moon or any star among the heavenly host, do not be led astray into the, into the adoring them and serving them. These the Lord your God has let fall to the lot of all other nations under the heavens. But you he has taken and led you out of that iron foundry, Egypt, that you might be his very own people as you are today. Since the Lord was angered against me on your account and swore that I should not cross the Jordan nor enter the good land which he is giving you as a heritage, I myself shall die in this country. All right, that is uh, on the eastern side of the Jordan without crossing the Jordan. But you will cross over and take possession of that land. Take heed, therefore, lest forgetting the covenant which the Lord your God has made you, you fashion for yourselves against his command an idol in any form whatsoever. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And then the whole next section is about fidelity to God. And again, we have to remember that they're talking to a different group of people, not to the audience of Moses himself. All right. I'd like to read a comment here from this commentary. It says, Obedience, then, is the foundation of Israel's relationship with God, since it brings Israel closer to God than is thought humanly possible. It is the uniqueness of Israel's God and of the covenant this God makes with Israel that makes Israel unlike any other people. Remember, the Israelites at this time period were the only ones who believed in a God who made heaven and earth and all things and was the end-all and be-all of everything. The others... Remember the people from Moses' time and the people that lived in Egypt for 400 years, all they saw was what the Egyptians worshipped. 
and therefore they had no theology or no understanding of the spirituality of God. Uh, it was more like some mystical big man up there in the sky uh, who had a big sword and all he was interested is obey or I'll cut your head off. Uh, I'm being a little facetious here, but that is all they were aware of. What Moses was trying to get them to see and to try to understand, difficult as it was, was that God is a spiritual person, not some big human giant up there. And that he cares for these particular people for a specific reason. The Israelites were to fulfill the development of God's plan of salvation. Without that, God could not move forward with developing Christianity. So there is something that we really have to think about, and you have to give the people at Moses' time a little bit of slack, because they didn't know any better. And it was hard for them to understand something that no one prior to Moses' time could teach them. And Moses could only repeat what he learned from God because he was educated under the Egyptian influence of his uh, adoptive family, the Pharaoh's daughter. So the spirituality that we know of God that relates us on a one-on-one -on -one basis was not in existence at that time. And so we have to be really, you know, allow some slack here for these people and not think too badly of them. So all they knew was either obey God or be punished. Now, the people in the 8th and ninth century were a little more advanced, but still not as much as we are today in the idea of our concept of God. We can think of God through Jesus because we can see Jesus in what we assume that he looked like, and we can hear him from reading the New Testament. These people didn't have that. So you can't blame them in the same way you would blame people today. But Moses is doing the best he can, and the people of the Deuteronomy, or the Deuteronomist, are trying to do the best they can by repeating the things that came directly from somebody who heard them directly from God. And that's the whole idea of this book. We don't, we don't really know who the Deuteronomists were. We do know that they were very uh, religious-minded people and they wanted to obey the teachings of Moses. Uh, we don't have any idea uh, of specifics as to names or anyone else. We have a lot of their writings, and their writings were very influential in all of the other books of the Old Testament. But as far as who they were, we have no particular 
knowledge. So we know I'm sorry? So we wouldn't well, we know that they showed up in the 8th or 9th century, but we don't know much about that or following that time period, or even who it was from the north that went to the south and took the books with it. Yeah, we don't know that. Yes? Were, the, were some of them the descendants, probably, of, this, of those ten tribes, most likely? Well, obviously, yeah, they were they descendants. They were anonymous, yeah. so they were the, probably the the ones that wanted to keep all of that um, sure. to themselves. Yeah. And, um, Gene? Went on. Where did they get the idea of That developed slowly in the time period after the exile. When they knew they, when they came back from Babylon to Israel, they were still under the domination of the Persians until the Greeks conquered the Persians and then when the Romans conquered the Greeks they were still under domination of somebody else. So they began to wonder where is this promised land that we were promised? And so they, they in reading this it was very interesting Interesting that it was the Deuteronomist uh, through Ezra and his followers that developed this idea that the new promised land would be heaven, back with God. Well, then the next question was, who was going to lead us or lead them into this new promised land that was God? And then they went back to the idea of the God's promise to King David that there would always be a ruler on the throne of Israel from the line or family of David. So there began to think about a Messiah who would lead them to the new promised land. But as time went on, that idea changed that the new promised land would still be Israel, but free of Romans or Greeks or anyone else. And he would be a human uh, person who would be uh, the great conqueror and the be-all to end-all. Uh, it was a gradual development of a concept, but it was not until the latter part of that five-year time period between Babylon and Christ. Okay. Any other questions? Yes? I'm, just a comment. I'm struck by the beginning of chapter four, where it says, you know, these are the statutes and the laws from the Lord. Don't add or subtract Obviously, the Pharisees didn't take that to heart with their 613 laws. Uh, well, you're right. You're right. Uh, I, I never thought of it that way, but you, you're right. Uh, the 613 laws, they developed over a long period of time, all the way from Babylon until around the 2nd century, century A.D. when the Talmud was 
developed. It wasn't completed until the 6th century AD. Well, and of course, a lot of them had to do with hygiene. Yes. Yes, there was a lot of uh, the uh, hygiene laws that, that Moses developed. And they went to extremes, of course, uh, to mincing words uh, down to last details. My wife was brought up in a uh, neighborhood that was half Italian and half Jewish. And they got along fairly well. Uh, the Jewish people would come over and ask my daughter, or rather my wife, or her sisters, whether they would come over and light the fire uh, in their stoves on Sunday so that they could cook, because I was against one of those laws. Yeah. So, you know, it, it got to be, the 613 laws got to be, you could hardly breathe uh, without offending somebody. Yeah. That's not what we're interested in. Yeah. Any other questions? Uh, I'm going to leave you here because I think we've exhausted the first uh, speech here of Moses. But I'd like to leave you with the, the idea that uh, it does get better, it does get easier. Uh, the next speech, which is the longest and the most important, was the one that was eventually taken to Babylon and began a reversal of the ideas and concepts and behavior. But we'll get into that uh, in our next meeting. And our next meeting will be two weeks from today. There will be no meeting next week. All right. Uh, so if there's anyone here that knows of anyone that should be here or wasn't, please let them know there will be no meeting next week. All right, but we'll see you again uh, on the 9th of October. Any questions before we leave?